These are selected verses from the 15th chapter of Genesis, beginning in verse 9. The Lord said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a pigeon, a young pigeon, and a turtle dove. And so Abram brought them and cut them in two down the middle and placed them opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a horror and great darkness came upon him. Now it came to pass, after the sun had set and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch which passed through the pieces. And the Lord said to Abram, I am making a covenant with you. I will give this land to your descendants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. And so I was going to bring you this morning uh, some of the pictures that are important uh, to me. But I know we don't always like to look at other people's vacation pictures and stuff like that. So let me describe a few of them to you. There are many pictures that I keep in my office because... uh, Looking at them and the memory of them brings joy. There's a picture of me with my wife at uh, Ephesus in front of the famous Library of Celsus. And reminds me not only the commitment we have to each other, but the commitment to try to walk the path that Paul and the Apostle John uh, would have walked. And we try to walk that together. Scattered all around my office are uh, pictures sometimes of the three my three kids together, sometimes uh, separate, sometimes with me. Uh, in the office, there are pictures of interns that we've had here at Alamo Heights in the past. And, and since my wife and, and sons aren't here at the service, I can tell you of all my pictures, my favorite one on the wall in my office is uh, when a picture of the miracle shot that uh, Christian Leitner hit when Duke beat Kentucky in 1992. Those are pictures that speak so much more than, than words can even communicate. Then there are other pictures that I don't really keep in my office because uh, as significant as they might be, they, they bring pain. Uh, a picture of my mom, and most of you know, died uh, more than a year ago from Alzheimer's, and that's still, that's still a little raw in places. A picture of a favorite pet that we all had in the family that uh, left us way too soon. A picture of one of the street children. In, uh, in Burundi in Africa, a street child, uh, either uh, orphaned because the parents died of AIDS or malaria or in the Civil War, or simply because the parents had too many children already and, and pushed him out the door. But that reminds me of why, partly why I go to Africa and, and do what I do. But, but I don't keep that in my office uh, because some pictures are just too painful. And, and no, I don't have any pictures at home or the office of the basketball game that Duke lost last night. But I take comfort because biblically I know that occasionally the Philistines win one now and then. But then there are pictures that don't necessarily bring joy or even pain. Some pictures just bring terror and dread. I mean, for me, a picture like that would be a picture of Jaws. I mean, I mean it. I I grew up in Corpus Christi. And I'm the Jaws generation. I mean... For lots of days in the summer, I'd go to the coast in the Gulf of Mexico until that movie came out. And now I don't go near as often or near as deep. That's a picture of pure 
Strat. It's, it's, it's this recurring dream I have that, that Jaws is going to find me and get me. So I stay here in San Antonio. I haven't seen him in the San Antonio River. That's a picture of dread. Well, you know what? When the Bible talks about taking animals and cutting them in two, that is a clear picture of dread. It was used in the ancient world. And uh, what would happen, a greater power would make a treaty or covenant with a lesser power, uh, usually a mighty king with a servant people. And they would call this ceremony cutting a covenant because what they do is they'd cut animals in half. And they would put them on either side and there would be a path in between the animals. It was called a blood path. And what would happen is the, the greater power, the king, would walk through the blood path and then turn and invite the vassal, uh, the, the minor party, the servant people, to uh, have their leader walk the blood path as well. And it was a very clear picture of this blood path. What the king was saying is, if your people do not keep this covenant, this is what's going to happen to you. So the king and the vassal might come together and touch briefly and then go their separate ways. And if they ever came back together, it would be for this because the lesser party had not kept the covenant. And in fact, uh, my mentor, Ray Vanderland, lived with Bedouins uh, in the 1980s uh, in, uh, in uh, the Middle East. And he said many of them still have the ceremony. He said in the tribe that he lived with for several weeks, uh, um, a young man and a young woman were getting married. So at the engagement service, they took a few lambs and cut them in two, set them on either side. And first, the father of the bride walked through. And he walked through and he was promising that your son will be pleased with my daughter. And if not, you do this to me. Then it's time for the father of the groom to pass through and it's... My son will take care of your daughter, will not abuse your daughter in any way, will give his life for your daughter. And if that's not so, you do this to me. And Ray said, it's not completely unheard of to find the body of a Bedouin in a ditch or on a side of a hill chopped into pieces because his daughter or his son did not keep the family's end of the bargain. It's a picture of terror. It's a picture of dread. And I know Abram gets it. I know he gets it because when God tells him to bring these animals and he cuts the first three in half and doesn't cut the birds in half, Abram knows what's going on. He's heard of this before. And the Bible says that when he fell asleep, horror and darkness came upon him. And I think it came upon him because he knew, I'm going to have to walk that path. I'm going to have to do my part of the bargain and I can't guarantee I'll do it or the people who come after me will do it. Well, he wakes up. The sun is set. It's dark. And as he's waking up, he sees apparently a smoking oven pass through. And anytime you see fire or smoke, that's, that's, that's a picture of God's presence. And a smoking oven goes through the, the path of the animals. So Abram knows what's next. It's his turn. It's his turn to own the bargain and be ready to pay the price. But before he can go through, the Bible says that Abram saw not just a smoking oven, and then he saw a burning torch, which is also a symbol for the presence of God. Abram knew immediately what had happened. God says, if you can't keep your end of the bargain, I'll pay the penalty. 
I'll take the punishment. I'll pay the price. And when Ray Vanderland's talking about it, he said it's that, at that very moment, 2,000 years before Jesus, that God's Son is consigned to the cross because Abram and his followers can't keep their end of the bargain. What was the bargain exactly? Hard to say what's all specified in Abram's day, but we do know in Genesis 17, God says as part of the covenant, walk before me and be blameless. Now, who of us got a shot at that? Who wants to walk that path? So we can't walk it. But God pays the price for us. You know, many wonderful things uh, are seen in that terrible picture of the cross. And I couldn't cover all of them this morning for you, but you'll know several of them. Uh, One of the things the cross does is just demonstrate the great love God has for us in Jesus. God loved us so much that that God didn't withhold God's Son, God's one and only Son, but gave Him on our behalf. I think we know that. We probably also know that one of the uh, metaphors that that the cross is saying is that, that we were captured by death and sin and we really, in a sense, were kidnapped by them and by the evil one. And the death of Christ pays a ransom that frees us who are hostages. Others see pictures of the cross of reconciliation, that what happens when Jesus dies is that people are now able to be united with each other. And now they're able to be united with God and you get a cross. But one of the things the church has always seen in the cross is this. That we had a covenant with God. And that we couldn't keep it. And someone had to pay the price. And Jesus paid it for us. God walked the path in our place. So what do we do? What did Abram do? What does anybody do? All we can do is say thank you and live as best we can. Because we're not blameless. We can't walk blamelessly. We trust not in our ability. We trust in the one who walked the path for us. I'm reminded of Private Ryan. Remember at the bridge, Captain Miller, as he's dying, says to the man his his group came to save. And he, he basically says, make it worth it. Live a kind of life that's worth my sacrifice. And I think, I think Abram gets that. I hope the followers of Jesus know that. We're not perfect, but we're going to do our best to respond to the sacrifice. I don't think anyone ever said it better than Dr. Livingston, I presume. David Livingston was being honored in Cambridge in the 19th century for the sacrifices he made spending most all of his life in Africa. And when he came back to Cambridge to be honored, he said, he said, I never talk of the sacrifices I made in Africa. I do not think of them as sacrifices. He said, when I think of what God did for me sending Jesus, that's the sacrifice and nothing else, nothing else compares. So what do we do? One has walked the path for us. We don't have to walk it again. I think we live our lives as best we can in as many ways as we can. We say thank you. And that brings us this morning to where we are. You'll find in your bulletin, just as you found the past three Sundays, a card. But this card's a little different. This is a commitment of, um, of financial support for the church. Now, if this is your church home... Um, 
and you already have a sense of what God is asking you to do in 2012, I hope you'll fill this out, sign it, and when you come up for communion this morning, put it in the basket. But please listen to me carefully. If this is not your church home, or God has not yet shown you what you are to do, specifically financially, I want you to come up anyway. And you can leave it, you can sign it or leave it blank or whatever you want to do, but place it in the basket. Remember, one of the lessons we learned from Africa is those who could make a response during the offering, and most can't, do. But everybody else in the congregation, whether they've sold a pigeon that week or or bananas or have sold nothing, they come forward and they offer themselves in the offering basket of way of saying, God, when you give me something, or when I know, I will do this. So I invite you this morning during the communion service to come forward. If you're, this is your church home and God's revealed what you're supposed to do, do it and put it in the basket. And if God hasn't shown you anything yet or this is not your home, come up and just put a blank card in there as a way of saying, when you tell me, I'll do it and I'll do it where you tell me to do it. Well, what if you do? You sign it, you fill it out, and then you can't do it. Friends, none of us, none of us can do everything we set out to do. We did not have to walk that path. God walked it for us. We're free to experiment. We're free to try. We're free to say thank you any way we can. So I hope you'll consider that and and offer yourself this morning during the communion service. Um, I'll not be with you. It's uh, Stump the Pastor Day and Confirmation. So I'm going to now take my abuse, but uh, Donna will lead us through the rest of the service.